This week on Young Nostalgia, do you think we're sexy? Let's take a look. To another wonderful, fabulous, sexy, steaming Rod Stewart episode of Young Nostalgia. This is Then and Now, Volume 11. I know we've talked about it for the past couple of weeks, but we're finally back and we're finally getting to it. We'll be talking all about Rod Stewart, his career, his early life, as well as when he peaked and what he's doing nowadays. Ben is right beside me. As always, we're podcasting to you from that stale piece of bread that you forgot about in the back of your fridge. Ben, how you doing today, big guy? <laughs> Oh, not too bad, not too bad. Been a nice lazy Sunday to uh to end out the week. How are you doing? Hey man, that's good. Uh not too bad. Kind of recouping. I just flew back to uh Nebraska yesterday. So last night I was like, you know what, I want to stay up late. I want to catch up on all the video games. Video games, I got the apartment to myself, and then I passed out at ten o'clock <laughs> and didn't wake back up until this morning. So I was like Dang it. That's fantastic. So today, today I'm going to try and catch up on uh, some of that stuff that I want to just kind of, you know, I know we've talked about this before where you like that space to yourself to just kind of listen to whatever you want to listen to, putter around and mess around with the stuff that you always wanted to, like, you know, if it's half broken or you're just trying to see it fix a little bit, tweak a little bit of things. That's what I'm looking forward to doing after we uh, are done recording today. Well, uh, I, I completely forgot to ask you this week. How was your journey back to Nebraska? I know you kind of had a, a, some rough travels on the way to Ohio. Uh, oh, just yes. wondering how the return trip ended up. The return trip was actually seamless and very, uh, very good. I had a very weird guy talk to me in the Toledo airport in Ohio, <laughs> and he was like, the vending machine's broken, and I like already have a cup of coffee. I'm like, thanks, man, but like, I'm not going to go to the vending machine. So I just kind of like did that awkward smile and did the, ha, and then just kept on scrolling through Twitter. Like, that's that's all it was. I was like, look, man, nobody wants to talk to you. I don't want to talk to me. Nobody else wants to talk to me. Let's just, let's just get on this plane and get this over with. So, yeah. yeah. And then, oh my God, I, I, I had a heart attack. I thought I was going to get in trouble. So from... The uh, on the airplane from Chicago to Omaha, where I flew in at, there was like maybe twenty people on like an eighty-seater plane. Nice. So it was like completely empty. So when I first got on, I sat right next to the guy because in my row I was sitting next to a guy, but plenty of empty seats all over the place. So I'm like, you know, obviously I'm not gonna sit here. He doesn't want to sit by me. I don't want to sit by him. So I'm like, I'm gonna move seats once they close the door to the airplane. So I look around real quick, grab my bag, and then just move up one seat in the aisle. Like So I have a row to myself. He has a row to himself. And then over the intercom, they're like, shh. <laughs> All right, we have completed the boarding process. To ensure that we lift off in a timely manner, please do not change your seat and make sure your trays are in upright position and buckled. And I'm like, oh, no. Am I going to be in trouble? Am I going to be in trouble? But uh, no, they ended up not doing anything. But I was like, you know. Had me sweating for a little bit. I was like, "Please, I I don't want a scene." <laughs> yeah, th- I mean that's always that's always so sketchy in situations like that because it, it seems it seems like there's never really a pattern to where you know what you get in trouble for and what you don't because sometimes you go through some airlines and there are a bunch of Nazis about everything. 
Right. And then sometimes that they don't care. You know, as long as you're not, you know, doing something very blatant, like whatever. Right. Like I didn't go up to first class. Right. You know yeah. I mean? You're not jumping classes yeah. or anything. You just move the seats. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So yeah, that, that was kind of my, that was my experience there. So that's, that's funny. all right. <laughs> um, maybe we can save my story flying back to see you guys and hang out with family over the holidays for another podcast. But um, <laughs> okay. speaking of that, we both, we both wish all of our listeners a wonderful, happy new year and hope that, uh, the holiday season treated you well. Sorry about for the long two-week extended break. Uh, we watched Star Wars with our good friend Kyle, who has been on the show multiple times. And unfortunately, he's under the weather, so we couldn't do our in-depth review of Star Wars Episode Nine. But we'll do that probably next week if he's feeling better. But that's the plan, as, uh, as we've done in years past, where we talk about and discuss our thoughts on the latest installment to the Star Wars universe. We'll do that probably next week or within the next couple of weeks. But again, we apologize for the long lull in episodes, but we are back to our regular weekly schedule. Unfortunately, not together anymore. When we were together, uh, we drank a little bit too much and probably smelled kind of bad. So that's why we didn't record. <laughs> yeah, we, we seriously thought about it, but we're like, nah, we probably shouldn't. And I think... Let's be honest. Yeah, because we were, we were... we Rather than meeting at someone's house this year, we... Uh, decided to get a hotel and and we ended up uh uh like we decided not to record and it was probably good because i think we fell asleep extremely promptly uh oh yeah after that um, we maybe made it through one and a half episodes of how it's made but that's about it yeah 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 and that's that's how we really party is uh <laughs> we go have a few beers and then at like 11 o'clock we come back and watch how it's made on youtube <laughs> If you want to join us on one of our vacations, give us an email at youngnostalgiapod at gmail.com. Yeah. Without further ado. <laughs> sorry, man. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're fine. Okay. Without further ado, let's hop into this episode. Then and now, volume 11 for Rod Stewart. Oh, shoot. There it is. All right, I got it. Here we go. We got the episode show notes up for you. I'll give you a quick overview of the Sir Rod Stewart. Stewart is one of the best-selling music artists of all time, having sold over 120 million records worldwide. He has had nine number one albums in the UK albums chart, and his tally of 62 UK hit singles includes 31 that reached the top 10, six of which gained the number one position. Stewart has had 16 top 10 singles here in the US, with four reaching number one on the Billboard Hot 100. He was knighted back in 2016 um, during the birthday honors for services to music and charity. So that's Sir Rod Stewart for you in a nutshell. But Ben, why don't you kick us off with Mr. Rod Stewart in his very early life stages as a human being? <laughs> not, not, not as an alien. No, no. <laughs> um, not as one of the lizard people. No, there's probably a conspiracy out there where you know Rod Stewart is you know actually a lizard person. <clears throat> oh, I'm sure. So uh, I guess I'll pre- preface this with. Uh, I'll apologize ahead of time if my audio isn't great because right now my the fan on my laptop sounds like uh, it's making a noise like uh, someone dropped a handful of change into a blender. So <laughs> oh, I didn't even know. I'm hoping that it's not coming through on the audio, uh, but I'll apologize ahead of time for that. So <clears throat> uh, turns so, out that Ben actually is blending just a handful of quarters. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean it's a 
the fan going bad on my laptop's a better excuse than you know actually playing <laughs> right. with a blender. Um, so <laughs> Stewart had a quote fantastically happy uh, unquote childhood as the youngest in the family. Uh, school performance was nominal, having failed the eleven plus exam. Um, <laughs> when growing up, his main hobby uh, was actually railway modeling. Which is kind of cool. It, I mean, that that stuff is is neat. You can sink a lot of money into that. Yes, you can. Um, and it's it's uh, definitely a hobby that you don't really think of in you know a celebrity musician very often. You know, every right. everybody's got their own hobbies that they like to do, but uh, railway modeling modeling is just isn't something that you hear a lot about. Uh, you know, with uh, someone such as Rod Stewart. <laughs> um. So the family was extremely focused on football as he was growing up. And this is football in the European sense. So soccer to our uh, United States listeners. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> Stewart's father had played in a local amateur team and managed some teams as well. Uh, one of Stewart's earliest memories was of the pictures of Scottish players such as George Young and Gordon Smith that his brothers had on the wall. Stewart was uh, the most talented football footballer in rather than football player uh, in the family (laughs) and became captain of his high school team. Uh, The family was also great fans of the singer Al Jolson would sing and play his hits all the time. Stewart collected his records, saw films, read and read books about him um, and was influenced uh, by his performing style and attitude towards his audience. Uh, His introduction to rock and roll was to rock and roll was hearing Little Richard's 1956 hit The Girl Can't Help It and seeing Billy, Bill Haley and his Comets in concert. Um, moving forward a little bit into this this uh, hobby of his at the time, Stewart's father bought him his first guitar in 1959 um, and he was part of a jam band with his friends. Just nothing major, just friends getting together you know, put right. out a little bit of music. Mostly like, mostly like cover songs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, Stewart left school at the age of 15 and worked briefly as a silkscreen printer. Uh, spurred on by his father, his ambition was to become a professional footballer. Um, talking about other career options, Stewart concluded, uh, well, a musician's, quote, well, a musician's life is a lot easier, and I can also get drunk and make music, and I can't do that and play football. Um, <laughs> so I plump for music. They're the only two things I can do, actually, play football and sing. <laughs> Unquote. There we go. I love it. Uh, that's being, and it turns being out very that he, blunt about it. Right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's like my favorite part. It's like I can't just not... Like, he couldn't not say that and then me not put it in the show notes for us to say. But... Uh, <laughs> He actually had like a tryout for a semi-amateur team for like a fast track to be a professional soccer player Mm -hmm. um, over there in Europe. Uh, And he had a tryout, but then uh, they never called him back. And so he just went with singing instead. So (laughs) he was like, well, I guess that's that. Um, And then moved on. Which is probably for the better because like he just said, he can't drink and play football at the same time. So Exactly. So I think he's definitely got the better gig here. 
Um, all right, so jumping forward to uh, kind of in the then part still, but talking about more uh, his music career from 1960 to around 1970. In 1962, Stewart began hanging around folk singer Wiz Jones, uh, busking at Le- Leicester Square and other London spots. Stewart took up playing the then fashionable harmonica, which kind of uh, brings a nice tie back into Huey Lewis when he talked about Huey Lewis in the news, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. Um, and on several trips over the next 18 months, Jones and Stewart took their act to Britain um, and then to Paris, uh, sleeping under bridges over the River Seine, and then finally to Barcelona. This this part really cracked me up um, a couple years later. So eventually this <laughs> resulted in Stewart being rounded up and deported from Spain for the for vagrancy during 1963. And at this time, Stewart, who had been at William Grimshaw School with three of their members, was briefly considered as singer for the Kinks. So that's kind of cool. That is kind of you know, cool. Like, I had absolutely no idea. Um, yeah, man. So he kind of had like the same kind of life experiences with music with Huey Lewis in the early times where Huey Lewis would just bum anywhere and just play with gigs and bands and, you know, just getting his name out there in the music scene all around the world, really. Yeah, and I, I thought that was really interesting that he was um, actually deported from Spain, uh, especially yeah. for vagrancy. I, something about that cracks me up. I mean, it's it's nothing... I still... even As great as that is, it's nothing compared to you know, Huey Lewis uh, stowing away on a plane. Right, um, right. But it's still really, really cool and really interesting. I had no idea um, about that aspect of Rod Stewart's early life, early Absolutely career, crazy. I should say. Right. I love it. Um, in 1963, Stewart adopted the mod lifestyle and look and began fashioning the spiky rooster hairstyle that would become his trademark throughout his early years. Disillusioned by rock and roll, he saw Otis Redding perform in concert and began listening to Sam Cooke records. He became fascinated by rhythm and blues and soul music and kind of started pushing his career that way. Uh, After returning to London, Stewart joined a rhythm and blues group, The Dimensions, in October of 1963 as a harmonica player and part-time vocalist. It was his first actual professional gig as a musician. And um, getting paid for it as well. Mm -hmm. The group performed performed weekly at the famed Studio 51 Club on Great Newport Street over in London, where the Rolling Stones often frequented and headlined their shows. I mean, that's just a really cool break. Because, I mean, throughout the time that they were there, they had to have met the Stones. You know what I mean? Oh, of course. You know, especially if, uh, you know, someone... Someone like Rod Stewart, who was obviously going to be going places um, later on in his career, uh, I'm sure that there were multiple run-ins with all, with some, if not all, of you know Rolling Stones members. Right, and then, interestingly enough, uh, one of the Rods, uh, sorry, one of the um, uh, Rolling Stones members will come up later on, and they have a very close friendship actually with. Rod Stewart, oh, okay. so uh, we'll be talking about that as well, so it's kind of cool to see. Um, so with the uh, 
with the Dimensions uh, Rhythm and Blues group that Rod Stewart was a part of, relations soon deteriorated with Stewart not agreeing on what role he should play in the group, and then he departed. In January of 1964, while Stewart was waiting at Twickenham Railway Station after having seen Long John Baldry and the All-Stars at Eel Pie Island, Baldry heard him playing Smokestack Lightning on his, on his harmonica at the station and invited him to sit down with the group. Why? What's so can, funny? Like, can we just take a look at how awkward that sentence is with those ridiculous names? <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, we've got, in that one sentence, we've got Twickenham Railway Station, uh, Long John Baldry, which is not that odd, um, All Stars at Eel Pie Island. <laughs> Like, like I know what on earth is going on over there. <laughs> See, I did not think, I did not think about the consequences of putting that in there. I should have told you, hey, take this section. <laughs> <laughs> Oops, you know, it's some funny. of the uh, any oh, there's a lot of different places in Europe that have uh, that have some goofy names, but it seems like. Uh, England by itself takes the cake as far as just oddball names for places and uh, like railway stations and that sort of thing. So I I know I <laughs> didn't mean to interrupt. I just got a good chuckle out of that. No, man, I love it. I'm glad you brought that up because I was just stumbling through it. So it kind of breaks it up a little bit. <laughs> so Stuart was playing his harmonica while waiting for the railway. And this is when Long John Baldry uh, approached him. So when Baldry discovered Stuart was a singer as well, he actually offered him a job for £35 a week after securing the approval of Stuart's mother. So he almost like had to get the blessing from Stuart's mother to be able to do this because I believe at this time Stuart was like 19 or so. Um, yeah, so Stuart left his day job at the age of 19 um, and... Throughout the time with performing with Long John Baldry, uh, he overcame his shyness and nerves and became a visible um, part of the group and sometimes added to the billing as, quote-unquote, Rod the Mod Stewart based on his kind of <laughs> style and the way that he performed <laughs> and uh, dressed himself. So that's a lot of fun. <laughs> Rod the Mod. I had, I had not I heard know. that before. Right, and I was kind of doing a little bit of research about like the mod fashion over in England. It was kind of a big fad for uh, younger kids mm-hmm. um, throughout the 50s and stuff to have kind of the spiky, disheveled hair, almost like bikers in a way, kind of. Well, I think, a little bit of leather, but yeah, more fringe. I, I think it was that kind of uh, uh, that rebel theme right. that we kind of see during this time period because this is like mid 60s or so um yep. and i think it kind of that was kind of europe's version of that right right um Stewart's Rod the Mod image gained wider visibility in November of 1965 when he was actually the subject of a 30-minute uh, rediffusion london television documentary documentary titled an easter with rod that portrayed the mod scene and kind of talked about um its influence on the uh britain culture um his parallel solo career attempts continued on emi's columbia label with the november 1965 release of the day will come a more heavily arranged pop attempt and the april 1966 release of his takes on sam cook's shake with uh, brian auger trinity 
Um, and they both ultimately failed commercially and neither gained any positive notices whatsoever. So, but he's trying, you know, <laughs> that's such a bummer. Like how blunt it is about it. You know, it's, it shows you how bad of a failure it is when, uh, the publications talk, the, the more blunt they talk about a failure, the worse it was. Right. Well, I can't even imagine like it would it would suck so much to like find some success as a group. Right. And then you obviously pinpoint it as an individual and then it just doesn't work out. Right. Like, how much is the record label going to like stick out their necks if like, hey, your individual voice isn't working, you know, because right. that could make or break him at this point. So he's got to come out with something that really shows what he could do. Yeah. And if you get you get enough bad publicity by yourself, I mean, that's going to hurt your career even with you know it's potentially could be given your name kind of a uh some bad media even with the group right yeah absolutely <clears throat> so we'll move forward a little bit again uh to still in his music career from 1969 to around 1975 uh, mercury records a&r man lou reisner had seen stewart perform with beck and on the 8th of October 1968 signed him to actually <clears throat> signed him to a solo contract uh, but Stewart was not able to record with them until the summer of 1969 um, this is kind of what we were talking about bringing in the Rolling Stones again Ron Wood of the Rolling Stones and Stewart then joined existing members Ronnie Lane Ian McLagan and Kenny Jones who soon decided to call the new lineup Faces uh, the group would continue into the early 70s, making multiple top 40 hits. Um, be- moving forward into 1971, Stewart's solo album, Every Picture Tells a Story, made him a household name uh, when the B-side of his minor hit, Reason to Believe, Maggie May, uh, co-written by Martin Quintenton, started receiving uh, radio play. Um, you know, Anytime that happens, uh, I mean, your name is thrust out into the limelight right uh the album and the single occupied number one in both the u.s and the uk simultaneously um a chart first in september which Which is like it's cool to point out how like the b side got the notoriety you know what i mean (laughs) yeah yeah that's kind of that's kind of odd as well um but that's that is really cool that uh you know hitting number one in one or the other or both U.S. and U.K. not at the same time is I mean that's big enough by itself, but hitting both at the exact same time uh, is pretty huge. Right, and it's Rod Stewart who broke it for the first time. Exactly. Like he was the first person ever to do that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of crazy. I had absolutely no idea. So it's very obvious to say that you know around this time was between this is like 1971, 1972. Um, that's when Rod Stewart is really starting to uh, find his groove and make a name for himself. Uh, in late teen, in late nineteen seventy four, Stewart released his. <laughs> in late teen. <laughs> I, Sorry, that was funny. <laughs> I messed up. <laughs> so, in late nineteen seventy four, Stewart released his Smiler album. Uh, in Britain, it reached number one, and the single "Farewell" number seven in the single mine for me only uh number 91 on the billboard pop singles charts it was his last original album for mercury records so you know even 
even only hit one of the songs hitting number 91. Um, I don't know, just being on, on the charts in general, you know, I mean, that's kind of saying something I would say, you I know, mean, it's not like it's right. You know, you're not in the top 10 or anything, which is obviously what people strive for, but I don't know, being still on the list in general, you know, that's not too shabby. Absolutely. And especially like with the huge success just years earlier, mm-hmm. his name is going to be on the map. So no matter what he puts out, people are going to hear about. So I think that's helped him a lot um, in this transition into where his height of his career really took off. Mm-hmm. Um, so so pretty uh, neat. that section was pretty short. Do you want me to continue or do you want to take over the next section? Uh, Go ahead, man. Yeah, yeah, you can continue. All right. So in 1975, Stu. Well, okay, so th- we're now we're kind of talking about the height of his music career from around 1975 all the way up to 1988. In 1975, Stewart moved to Los Angeles, California, uh, where he released Atlantic Crossing. An Atlantic Crossing. <clears throat> wow. <laughs> uh, so at this time, he's living in Los Angeles, California, <laughs> where he released the. Atlantic Crossing album for his new record company, Warner Bros. Using producer Tom Dowd and a different sound based on the uh, Muscle Shoals rhythm section, Atlantic Crossing marked both a return to f- return to form and a return to the top 10 of the Billboard album charts. Uh, wow, that Hell was yeah. a struggle. <clears throat> yep, but you got it. We got there. <laughs> So we got there in a cohesive manner. Yeah, well, I don't know how cohesive it was, but it, we got there. <laughs> so later in 1976, Stewart topped the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 for eight weeks uh, with the ballad "Tonight's the Night" with an accompanying music video featuring actress Britt Eklund. It came from the "A Night on the Town" album, which went number two on the Billboard album charts and was Stewart's first album to go platinum. Um, by explicitly marking the album as having a fast side and a slow side, Stewart continued the trend started by Atlantic Crossing. And that, I mean, that's kind of cool um, with like the music video part of it. I mean, MTV wasn't around at the time that the music video was really produced and released. Mm-hmm. So getting your hands on that or whatever, you'd have to, I don't know almost be being played at like a music store or something like that on the TV where that's where you can be subjected to that. But uh, it's interesting how we, I mean, a lot of times we've talked about this in the past about cranking out albums so fast, but I mean, he's already done two albums in two years already. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously he's in good form. He's writing good music um, and performing and just hitting every note he needs to. So I guess if he has it in him, you know, the record company is going to be like, we want more. Yeah, I guess as long as you have as long as you have the the time and the inspiration, you might as well get it out there while you can. There's no reason to to hold back and try to stretch it. Right. <clears throat> it's cool. So it's moving crazy. on, uh Hot Legs achieved a lot of radio airplay as did the confessional I was only joking. In appearance, uh, Stewart's look had kind of evolved a little bit to include a glam element, uh, including quite a bit of eye makeup, <clears throat> excuse me, in- including makeup and spandex clothes following the release of 1977's Footloose and Fancy Free. <laughs> um, St- 
Stewart scored another UK number one and US number one single with Do You Think I'm Sexy? Uh, which Nolan was yes. alluding to at the beginning of the show. Um, yes, I do, Ben. Thank you very much for asking. <laughs> which was a crossover hit reaching number five on the Billboard Black charts due to its disco sound. Um, this was a lead. This was the lead signal. F- signal. This was the lead single from 1978's <laughs> Blondes Have More Fun, which went number one on the Billboard album charts and sold three million albums. Three million. Yeah, that's a lot of albums. That is. That is a lot of albums. <laughs> um, getting into where he's kind of changing up his his sound a little bit more. Stewart moved to a more new wave direction in 1980 by releasing the album Foolish Behavior. The album produced one hit single, Passion, which reached number five on the U.S. Billboard charts. So circling back a little bit to talking about uh, music videos, in August of 1981, MTV was launched in in the U.S. and several of Stewart's videos... Uh, in heavy rotation. Later in 1981, Stewart added further elements of new wave, new wave and synth pop to his sound for the Tonight I'm Yours album. Uh, the title song reached number 20 in the U.S., while Young Turks reached the top five, with the album eventually going platinum. Which is, like, it, it's interesting. I don't know if you know much about this, but, like, with MTV being launched in 1981 and Stewart having previously produced and finished music videos. So are some of those videos that they're kind of putting on there old videos that were produced and out there at least to the public, maybe on like VHS or who knows what some sort of media form to get, but not like conglomerate, like conglomerated together on one like central location. That's what it kind of seems like. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I, some uh, music videos is is not something that I really know a lot of the history behind. Looking back on it, I, I don't really see, I don't really see the market for music videos before MTV was really a thing, right? Um, and so I, I don't really know, I don't really know how consumers would have watched them, um, before that. Um, you know, obviously, I mean, Rod Stewart had been doing music videos for a while, even before that. So I would assume other people were at the time as well. Um, but I don't really know to what extent, um, you know, obviously him having already had music videos out there before August of 1981, when MTV was launched, um, that's would make it pretty obvious. You know, if someone's already got multiple music videos out there, then obviously MTV is going to pick them up and start playing them. Um, right right away as opposed to other people who are at the, you know at the time they're probably oh crap we need to start pumping out music videos you know you're gonna you're obviously huh. gonna run what there already is before you know people have a chance to catch up to the to the new market right right that makes sense so stewart had four u.s top 10 singles between 1982 and 1988 uh Young Turks, number five, carrying over from 1981 to 1982. Some Guys Have All the Luck, which was number 10 in 1984. Infatuation, number sixth in 1984. And Love Touch, number six in 1986. 
which was also a Holly Knight and Mike Chapman collaboration. Uh, although Baby Jane became his sixth and final UK number one in 1983, it reached number 14 in the U.S. Beautiful. So all right. All, he was all over the charts in the basically the mid-80s. Right. And the cool thing was back in the day when one song was amazing and he absolutely loved it, you had to buy the whole album to get that one song. <laughs> so exactly. he knew what to do. He was like, I'm going to make one hit per album so everyone buys the whole album. Yep. And then you, you load up the rest of the album with filler. And then, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you're raking in all the dough. <laughs> I love it. All right. So now we're going to transition into the now and finish up with some facts and accolades of Mr. Rod Stewart or Sir Rod Stewart. So uh, since the early 2000s, Stewart continued to grow his sound and collaborate with many other artists to include Stevie Nicks, Dolly Parton, Diana Diana Ross, and Elton John. I was like, please, I cannot butcher this. It's Diana (laughs) Ross. So here we go. In June of 2012, it was announced that Stewart had signed a recording agreement with Universal Music Group. Um, and on four, on the 4th of September 2012, it was announced that Stewart would be releasing his first Christmas album titled Merry Christmas, Baby. And then uh, subsequently, his autobiography was published uh, and released later in 2012 around the October time uh, period. In May 2013, Stewart released Time, a rock album of his own original material. It marked a return to the songwriting um, part of his career after what Stewart uh, termed a, quote, quote, unquote, a dark period of 20 years. He said that writing his autobiography biography actually gave him um, some impetus and to write music again and some motivation to write. Uh, pull some words together and uh, write music. So, man, I kind of stumbled through that one. See, <laughs> now I'm not doing that good. Whew. That's all right. It happens to uh, the best of us. It does, I know. <laughs> and we are the best of everyone. Of so. course. Everyone knows that. Bam. We love you. Aw. <laughs> Thanks for sticking around. It means a lot. On On the 28th of <laughs> September, 2018, Stuart released his 30th, 30th studio album, Blood Red Roses, on Republic Records. 30th studio album. That's freaking crazy. If you have all 30 albums of Sir Rod Stewart, please give us an email at youngnostalgiapod at gmail.com. We'd love to see uh, the collection. That's freaking (laughs) awesome. That's crazy. That is so much music. We'd love to see the collection and also maybe set up an intervention. Uh. (laughs) Set up an intervention. (laughs) Because we think think you might have a problem. But wow, 30, oh, 30 studio albums. That's crazy. I mean, it's 30. It seems like there's there's a lot of groups who might be super popular for a little while or they might be super popular for a long time that, you know, struggle to even put out 10 total albums. Right. And they're still amazing. But this guy has 30. 30. Yeah, which is I mean, that's ridiculous. Oh, it's crazy. See, I uh I don't know. I I I I don't know if they're counting like his uh, collaborations in terms of when he was with Faces and all that kind of stuff. So albums that he was a part of in general. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's. I think that still says something, even if it's counting the stuff right. that wasn't just his own releases. I think just being part of 30 studio albums, being credited on 
30 studio albums is, I mean, that's really something still. Absolutely. Crazy, crazy talent. Um, do you want me to take the last one or do you want the, uh, the last section? Uh, go ahead and take the last one. All right. Facts and accolades for Sir... You know what? I, I typed this and I was like, oh, that's a perfect big word that we can use. And then now I can't even say it. Facts and, facts and awards for Sir Rod Stewart. Um, Stewart was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame back in 1994. Um, and on the 31st of December 1994, Stewart played in front of 3.5 million people on Copacabana Beach in Rio and made it um, into the Guinness Book of World Records for staging the largest free rock free rock concert attendance in the entirety of history, which is insane. I know we've kind of talked about this in the past. I believe um, we talked about it in a uh, This Month in History, actually. But it's crazy. 3.5 million people for a rock concert that was completely free. Wow. You know, it's... I'd, I'd hate to be the one in the back. <laughs> <laughs> so the way it's worded, though, it's also I, I also found it kind of funny. Is it, it's the record for the largest free rock concert in history. So were there, were there larger free concerts that weren't just rock or were there larger rock concerts that weren't free or were there larger concert attendance numbers in general? See, the thing with like Guinness Book of World Records, I feel like they have to be very exact on the yes. record. The uh, the only five foot ten person to walk <laughs> ten miles barefoot. Like, you know, I mean, yeah. come on. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking too. I'm not putting down 3.5 million people is, that's huge. But I also, I, right. I found it kind of funny, like the largest free rock concert in history. I'm like, well, that's, like how that could mean like a lot of different things. How big is that market? Right, yeah. like how big is that market to do that again? Yeah. You know, it's like you know the the actual largest free concert in history was forty million people. So you know, we gotta right. say largest free rock. So you know, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> I love it. Not putting down Rod Stewart at all, but it's always funny to <laughs> to think about it outside the box. A little bit. Um, Rod Stewart was appointed commander of the Order of the British Empire in 2007 on New Year's honors for services to music, which I don't really know what all that entails, but it seems pretty cool. I almost feel like it's one of those things where it's like, here's a key to the city. Yeah. I feel like it's something well, like that. Well, I, I, I would assume it has something to do with him already being knighted, knighted. and so it's probably right. almost like a like a, a bump up in level of being a knight. It's okay. like you've already been knighted, but here's like here's like an advancement of rank almost. Okay, okay. That's kind of how you. I see it. Okay, I'm with you. It makes sense to me. Um, an avid car collector, Stewart owns one of the 400 Ferrari Enzones in the Enzos. Enzos. Sorry. Enzos. <laughs> I don't know why I put an N in there. Enzos. Ferrari Enzones. I like cars too. In 1982, Stewart was carjacked on Los Angeles' Sunset Boulevard while he was actually parking his $50,000 Porsche. The car was subsequently recovered a little while later. But, I mean, $50,000 is a lot of money back in 1982. But he was carjacked. Do you think they knew it was Rod Stewart that they were carjacking? I, I have no idea. But the way the way it sounds from uh, from this source, it sounds like he was actually carjacked 
He was there. It's not like his he was gone and his car was stolen while he was gone. Right. It sounds, right. Like he was in the car. <laughs> yeah. It's like they got him out of the car and just straight up jacked it from him while he was there. Right. Um, which I mean, that's that would be quite an experience. Right. Which I mean, which is kind of ballsy in Sunset Boulevard. Like I feel like that's a very richy neighborhood. It is. I'm sh- and, and I'm well sure there's people all over the place too. Right. That's crazy. <laughs> what would you do if you saw Rod Stewart just get carjacked? Would you be like, "Hey, could you sign this for me?" <laughs> yeah, like, "Hey, uh, he's got. I know he's you got just no like, way to go. Lost your car, but uh, can I have an autograph?" Right. He's got no way to go. He can't get away from me. <laughs> yeah. Like, what's he gonna do? Drive away? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> Is that what you say to him? Like, what are you gonna do? Yeah. Come on. You're like, hey, I'll help. Oh, I'll help great. you get your car back if you sign this for me. <laughs> Just hold them like blackmail. I'll give you oh a ride. <laughs> oh, That's amazing. In May 2000, Stewart was diagnosed with thyroid cancer for which he underwent surgery in the same month. It had been previously reported he suffered from a benign vocal cord nodule. And besides being a major health scare, the resulting surgery also threatened his voice and he had to actually relearn how to sing. Since then, he has been active in raising funds for the City of Hope Foundation charity to fund cures for all forms of cancer, especially those affecting children. So he's been a huge, huge stakeholder and um, proponent for that group, which is really, really cool. And then the most recent uh, tidbit, which thank God is all right, in September of 2019, Stewart revealed that he was diagnosed with prostate cancer in 2017, but has been given the all clear after treatment uh, was underwent and he is currently um, cancer free. So that's good. He's killing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely uh, having two, two bouts with cancer and then bouncing back with uh, no other effects uh, is really, you know, that doesn't happen very often. Right. I love it. He's great. He's a great musician, great person. But, uh, and uh, he is, and I would like to bounce back a little bit to something a little bit lighter um we talked earlier a a little bit about his early life interest in model trains right well it's pretty funny because uh recently and that was one of the reasons why i brought up we should do uh then and now on rod stewart anyway is there was a recent uh news story out uh it was probably a couple months ago at this point um, talking about how his he still has a huge interest in model trains. Oh, no way. Yes, to the point where on his last tour, which I think was still going on like last year or the year before, he took everything with him all along the tour. He was reserving, he would call ahead at every hotel and reserve an extra room. He would have, uh, before he got there, he would have all the beds, all the furniture, everything carted out of the room. All of his model train stuff moved in, uh, and then he would, any free time he had that he wasn't doing a show, he would be in his hotel room working on his model trains. And no I've seen, way. I've seen pictures of all of this, and it's, it's huge. It's not just a model train set. You know, it's, it's, it's like a city. It's I just landsca- opened it up. It's landscape. There's buildings, and that's actually talks about how he's, he, he likes the model train part of it. But the majority of his interest is is building the cities and doing the 
architecture of the buildings and the landscape and little shops, stores, houses, that sort of thing. Holy, that's freaking nuts. Yeah. And there's so much detail in this. Like these aren't like just buildings or cars like these. This this looks like a real life city with wear and tear on these buildings and cars yeah. like the the attention to, the attention to detail is astronomical. Um, so that's insane. listeners out there who you know want to look more into this, by all means, go look at uh, Rod Stewart's uh, model train. I don't even want to call it a model train set. It's a it's a model city basically. Um, I I I found the article or or an an article, and uh, I put the link in our. Documents, so that will be down below in the show notes for you to check out yes. and read about his model trains. Yes, and I, I believe he has been featured when I when all this first came out. It was because there was a big photo shoot and write up um, where he was featured in like a one of the biggest model train magazines um, wow. around, and they did a whole special on Rod Stewart and his thing. And it's just I found it so odd and awesome at the same time that you know. Throughout his this whole tour, he was paying for um, the extra trucking it took to move this stuff around. He was paying for double the hotel rooms, uh, right? To move all of this, and, and then the the labor of uh, everyone with him to move all of this stuff into the hotel rooms, get it all set up, and then he would, yeah. you know, he would spend all of his free time working on this, and then it had to be when it's time to move cities, you have to tear it all back down, load it back on the truck. Um, and oh. move to the next city. That's freaking nuts. I wonder if he's like, what happened to my stoplight? I had a stoplight right here. I put it on last <laughs> night. You know what I mean? Oh my yeah, God. and I, I also, I, I have heard too that he was very, very, which, I mean, I don't blame him on any of this. He was very particular on how his stuff was handled. Um, right. You know, I, I don't blame him in that regard at all. You put that much work into, you know, building something like that and you definitely would be very upset if it were to be damaged. Right. Um, Crazy. I, thought I mean, you know, good a, for him, though. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, it's, you know, we were talking earlier about how, uh, you know, everyone's got their own hobby. And it just seems so odd that someone like Rod Stewart would be into model trains. Um, but he's not only is he into it, but he is actively uh, huge into it. Right. And it's just like it's cool to kind of see that and read that because it just brings you brings you down a couple notches and be like, look, these people are just you know, Rod Stewart's just like us. It's yeah. crazy. He's just it's really cool. He's just a guy that has <laughs> he just happens to be really good at uh, writing and making music. And he still has the same interest outside of that that everybody else does. Absolutely. It's neat. Yeah. It's I cool. thought you'd get a kick out of that. That's really cool, man. Thanks so much for sharing. Yeah, I found that uh, BBC article, and it's actually in our show notes down below. Take a look at it and uh, give give it a quick read, and then feel free to look more into it if you like. And let us know what you think. Email us at youngnostalgiapod at gmail.com, and let us know what you think about the show, as well as Rod Stewart's amazing model train set and uh, that pretty much wraps up then and now volume 11 you can find us on google play stitcher spotify apple podcasts anyway you get your favorite podcasts where they are just search young nostalgia up there and the search box will be there if you like what you hear please leave a uh, five-star rating and take a couple minutes maybe even just 30 seconds and write a review telling what you like about the show hey good job love the way it is and then that's perfect. We want to hear from you guys. 
uh, who support us throughout all of these years. Back in 2020, it's crazy and amazing, but we're back full swing and the podcast isn't stopping anytime soon. As always, thank you so much for listening. Ben, anything else, big guy? No, that was a super fun show. We got as about as in-depth as we possibly could in 45 minutes on Rod Stewart. Um, definitely right. have to be hitting the then and nows pretty hard in 2020. Absolutely. And unfortunately, we still have to leave out a, lar- a large chunk of amazingness with these people that we talk about but it's cool to kind of dig in just a little bit and just scrape the surface about how amazing these talented people are that have shaped um you know our interests and passions for the podcast itself as well as many people around the world so this is amazing love doing it good to see you good to be back my big guy so as we always say here on young nostalgia keep the bottles empty and the ashtrays full we'll talk to you next week